So if you keep your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts 9. This is a text that we'll be dealing with that uh, Lauren just read. And this will conclude our uh, series in the book of Acts. I know there are more chapters in the book of Acts, but we plan to do Acts 1 through 7. I didn't, I extended it to Acts 8 and 9 because I didn't want to end with Stephen being martyred. It seemed like a downer. So that's why we've done Acts 8 and now Acts 9 today. What's amazing about this passage is that Saul encounters the ascended Christ. It's interesting. Other disciples in the, in the Gospels uh, saw a, a, had an encounter with the post-resurrected Jesus. But in Saul's case, it's not simply the post-resurrection Jesus. It's the post-ascended Jesus who is now glorified. That's the ascended Jesus that Paul encounters on his way to Damascus. And what we see in these 19 verses is we are going to see two expressions, two examples of the power of the ascended Christ through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the ascension of Jesus is, is connected with the pouring out of his spirit. And we're going to see two examples, two illustrations of that power that we need to get a handle on that, that don't just help us understand what's going on in this text, but I think help us understand how we need to view ourselves and how we need to view other people. So let's look at the first illustration of the power of the ascended Christ, and we'll put it this way. Because of the power of the ascended Christ, no one is unredeemable. No one is, is beyond the, 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 the ability for God to bring to himself. No one is beyond the scope of God's grace to deal with. Let's look at that. When you look at Acts 9, 1, you see that Saul is not your most likely convert to Jesus. He's, murder, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, verse 1. In verse 2, He's gotten letters of extradition to go to Damascus, which is about 168 miles from Jerusalem. And he's going to go there and, 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 and bind these men and women and bring them back to Jerusalem. What you see here is a man who is deeply committed to doing everything he can to harm believers in Jesus Christ. He's going to arrest them. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. He, is, he wants to stop the spread of this group that is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is noxious to, to Saul. He hates it. And he wants to harm the church. He's breathing out these murderous thoughts. It's interesting that Luke says he was willing to bind men and women. A particular cruelty. If any of these women are moms, he's, he's willing to divide families, orphan children for a time in order to carry out his religious program of persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. Not the most likely convert to Jesus, I would say. Well, in verse 3, it says he's on his way to, to Damascus. And now, now what we're going to see is what does the ascended Christ have to do to, to, to bring Saul to himself? Now, he has to do a lot, all right? 
There's lots of supernatural activity here. Uh, in verse 3, we see there's a, there's a bright light from heaven that flashed around. Uh, Saul is knocked to the ground. He hears a voice. This is the voice of the ascended Jesus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? The ascended Christ responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's interesting that, that, that Jesus, the ascended Christ, says to Saul, when you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. Jesus is saying is, I am so connected with my people, the church, the community of faith, that when you harm one of them, Saul, you're harming me. And of course, that was, I mean, obviously true, right? I mean, followers of Jesus are indwelt by the Spirit, right? This is what we learned in Acts 1 a number of months ago as we started the, 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 the series on Acts. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he then pours out his Spirit, which is the very presence of Christ that is in, indwells every believer in Jesus. And therefore, the personal presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. So when Saul is harming those believers, they are actually, in a very real way, harming Jesus, persecuting Jesus. Verse 6, Paul, Saul is instructed, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. <laughs> Notice that at the beginning of this text, Saul's the one in power. Saul's the one in authority. Saul's the one getting the extradition papers. Saul's the one who is hurling these threats against God's people. Saul is on his way to Damascus to, to bind people and imprison them. And now he's being told, go into the city and you'll be told what you were to do. Saul is not in charge anymore. The ascended Jesus is. The men were traveling with him, verse 7. They were speechless. Uh, they they hear, heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. They led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here's a man who was very sure what was right. Jesus and the, the, the story of Jesus rises from the dead was a, a belief that needed to be stopped, that needed to be arrested, that needed to be dealt with. The people of God needed to be put down and persecuted and imprisoned. And now that man is unable to go in his own power into Damascus. He has to be led by the hand. The ascended power of Christ has now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, poured out by that ascended Christ, is now powerfully working in Saul to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. And now the ascended Jesus is the one calling the shots. And this Saul, who is the least likely convert, is now coming to faith in Jesus Christ alone. Because of the power of the ascended Christ, nobody is unredeemable. Nobody is beyond the scope of God's grace. That's what we see. This is a narrative illustrating this critical theological point that it is the ascended Christ through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of that ascended Christ who can bring anyone to faith Nobody is beyond his reach. Now, I think what's important for us to see is that 
Saul never forgot this. Now, we know him as Paul in the rest of the book of Acts. Saul never forgot God's grace. I want you to see what he says about that in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. So if you could turn to 1 Timothy later in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 12. Here's how Paul... Saul, but Paul now describes his coming to faith. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now notice what he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, an unlikely convert. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And when Paul says here, Saul says, I am the foremost of sinners, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think Saul had a, a deep sense that because of his persecution of believers and therefore his persecution of Jesus, he had no business in his own power, in his own humanity to come to God. That his salvation was all of grace, not of himself, completely the power of the ascended Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring him to faith. He never forgot that. He never forgot the incredible love and gracious sovereign act of God in bringing him to faith. He never got over it. And Sometimes I wonder if some of us who have come to faith in Christ have forgotten that the same supernatural power of the ascended Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit was needed to bring you to faith and was no less supernatural than what happened to Saul. Oh, I know with Saul, there, there, were, there were bright lights and he fell off his horse. He was, I don't know if it was his horse, but he fell down to the ground. He, he was, uh, I heard a voice, uh, yes, but it was the voice of Jesus, yes. There's some supernatural elements, but underneath it all, what you see is it's the power of the ascended Christ in the pouring out of his spirit that brings anyone to faith. And if you are here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, no less than that same supernatural power was needed to bring you to faith. It's the same. thinking about this uh, this week, uh, you know, just thinking about this, I, I remember vividly when I came to faith. I, I, was, uh, I was in first grade. I was six years old. I was about to turn seven. It was in February before I turned seven. I was a first grader at uh, Dallas Christian Academy, and um, the teacher there was, was a Bible story about Adam and Eve, how they sinned, and because of their sin, they were separated from God. And as I listened to this story, and she began to talk about how Jesus was the only one who could solve the problem of our sin, it was as, what happened to me was not unlike Saul. Now, I didn't hear a voice, but I heard the word of God shared by my teacher. The Spirit of God opened my mind up and heart up, and I saw my sin in all of its ugliness. And it scared me to death. Now you think, well, were you persecuting the church? 
Tracy at age six? No. My sister? Yes. The church? No. She wasn't a believer yet. <laughs> when she was telling that story, all I could think about was just a series of things that I had done and said to my sister that were just unloving and frankly at times cruel. And I saw it. I also thought about this experience that had just happened a few months before when my parents were invited to, and, and I was invited along with my parents to go to this high school football game in, in Texas, which is the only state that knows how to play high school football. Sorry. Sorry, New Jersey. You guys are good at a lot of things. Fencing, <laughs> rowing maybe. But the pastor of our church invited my parents and I to this football game. I was so excited. But before the football game, we were supposed to leave for the football game, my parents said, you need to clean your room before we go to the football game. Now, I knew that the Bible had said, children obey your parents. My interpretation of that verse was, children obey your parents when you agree with your parents. It's a textual emendation. No, it's not. It's not a textual variant. No, that, that's what I thought. And I took issue with my parents trying to tell me what I needed to do with my room. So I balked. They threatened. I balked. They said, if you don't clean your room, we're not going to the game. I wasn't sure I believed them, but I thought they were wrong. And I was already a good American. If you don't agree with your authorities, rebel. Throw the tea in the Boston Harbor. I wouldn't clean the room. I threw a temper tantrum. I yelled, I screamed, I cried. I ended up on the floor going, ah, like a kook. And then I heard my parents calling the pastor of the church saying, I'm sorry we can't go to the game tonight. Our son is struggling with some things. Then I went really crazy. And when my teacher was talking about the sin of Adam and Eve that separated from God, I saw that sin for what it was. I was a rebel. I didn't want my parents telling me what to do. I didn't want God telling me what to do. I realized for the first time I was a sinner and the only hope I had was Jesus in him dying for my sin. And when I walked up to the teacher, she said, if anybody wants to you know, trust Christ today, and I raised my hand, and when I walked up, it was almost like I was like Saul, being led by the hand, sort of metaphorically by the Spirit, completely undone with myself, completely broken before God, put my faith in Jesus Christ, and that was just as supernatural as what happened to Saul. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is no less supernatural for, for the Spirit of God to be poured out into your life and draw you to himself because the Spirit of God doesn't come just to give you a little nudge to help you take the last step to, to trust Jesus. The Bible's very clear. You can't even see your sin or Jesus without the Spirit opening your mind. We are that spiritually blind. sometimes we forget this and when we forget 
that we are no different than Saul. (laughs) Not deserving of God's grace, not deserving of his mercy. When we forget that it took the supernatural ascended Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to himself, we, we, we stop rejoicing and exulting in this incredible salvation. Paul, Saul, never forgot it. How many times did he say, the love of Christ constrains me? He never got over it. And by God's grace, we should not get over it either. Because of the ascended Christ and his power, as he pours out his Holy Spirit, there's not one person who is beyond the scope of the grace of God, including you. Take this in one more direction. It's not just true for you, but it's true for all the people in your life. Nobody in your life, nobody in your family, nobody, no matter what they may say or do, none of them are beyond the power of God to reach. Do you believe that? Do you act like that's true? One of the worst jobs I ever had, I was an RA in college. Terrible job. Don't do it. I was responsible for 20 guys age 18 to 21. No judgment, no wisdom. They were a disaster. And I was responsible for helping them to, to follow the rules, you know. And I was always worried, who's not going to come in for curfew tonight? Who's going to be, who's doing what, where? I mean, it was a dis- disaster. And one of these guys on my dorm was a guy that I, I, mean, I, I just didn't really connect with. He, he, was, he, he found out I was a believer. He found out I was going to be a pastor someday. And he just mocked me all the time. Oh, you're going to be a pastor. What a waste of a career. You know, why are you, why are you a Jesus freak? That's silly. That's ridiculous. He just constantly berated Jesus. And, of course, I was constantly trying to find him every night because he wasn't in on time. I felt like Javert in Les Miserables, chasing him down. And one day, he asked to speak to me, and I thought, oh, great. You know, it's a confession of some horrible thing he's done on my hall. And he sits me down, and he says, listen, I just want to tell you something. Last night, I I became a follower of Jesus. And I I laughed. I went, yeah, that's funny. He says, no, really. I said, come on. I thought he was joking with me. He said, no, I, I, I am. I found Jesus last night. Assistant baseball coach led me to, to the Lord, and, I, and I, finally, I finally believed him and said, this is incredible. And then he looked at me and he says, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? Ugh. Why didn't I tell him about Jesus? Well, you know what? I gave up on that guy. He mocked me, he mocked Christianity, he mocked Jesus. He was always breaking the rules or on the edge of breaking the rules. I basically said to myself, humanly speaking, this guy has no hope. But the ascended power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit says otherwise. And thankfully, the assistant baseball coach believed in the ascended Christ more than me and decided to pray for him and share with him. And here he is, a brother in Christ. Is there anybody in your life, your family?
family, extended family, people you work with, people you go to school with, people in your neighborhood. Is there anybody in your life that you need to have a more biblical understanding of in light of the power of the ascending Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? They should inform how you think about this person. How you, it should inform you how you pray for, for others. It should inform you on how to engage with that person and not give up and not write them off and not think it's hopeless because it's not. This is the first reality of the ascended Christ that we see in, in narrative form here with Saul. No one is beyond the power of God's grace, God's grace to bring them to faith because the ascended power of Jesus through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is more powerful and it can break down any barrier that anyone might have in coming to Christ. If God could save Saul a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, if God could save you with all of your mess, he can save anybody. And we need to believe that and act on that reality. That's the first thing. Let me uh, look at one other item. This is in the second part of this story, verses 10 through 19. And the idea here is that because of the ascended Christ, real enemies become brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of the ascended Christ and the power pouring of the, out of the Spirit, real enemies become brothers in Christ. Let's look at verse 10 here. Now, I say this a little bit facetiously, but it's true. Ananias at this time is the unluckiest believer in Damascus. Verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He's seen in a vision a man named Ananias to come and lay hands on him so he might regain his sight. And notice, for, this is Ananias, verse 13. Uh, I, you know, Ananias answered, Lord, uh, I've heard... <laughs> From many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. Now, I think this is pretty mild from Ananias. I tell you what I would have been telling God. I would have been saying, Jesus, fine, I, I, maybe I'll go to, to, to this guy. But can we enter into a 10-year new believer course with armed guards, you know, to keep him... I mean, I, I think Ananias, any person, I think any per thinking person would have said, maybe this whole act that Saul is, is putting on is designed to infiltrate the church and uh, find out who all the believers are in Damascus and make his job a little easier. Oh, I, I, that's what I would have been thinking. Ananias may have been thinking. In some sense, Ananias has to come to grips with, is the ascended Jesus powerful enough through the Holy Spirit to take this persecuting Saul and actually, actually change him? That's what Ananias has to believe. Unless you think this is some crazy idea, I, I, I have to tell you, I have talked to a, a believer, talking to this believer, he leads a house church in a closed country, and he told me the story of how he, uh, you know, their house church is very careful who they let in to their house church. In fact, they do a lot of discipleship before a person is allowed to come to the worship service. 
in the house church because of the risk to the other believers. And this house church leader was telling me of this time where he had been discipling someone for a couple of months. He felt they were really a believer, invites him to the house church for the first time, and 10 minutes after house church was over and the man who came for the first time left, he got a text from the man, the new member of the house church, and the text was meant to be sent to the police, but it came back to the house church leader and it said this, Sergeant, I'm in. I know who they all are. What are the next steps? Well, that's what Ananias might have been thinking. Ananias has to to decide, is he going to trust the ascended Jesus and the instructions he's getting from the vision? And does he have enough faith to believe that the power of the ascended Christ could actually truly change Saul? We pick it up in verse 15. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of God. Not only was the ascended Christ going to rescue Saul from his sin, but he was going to turn him into the greatest missionary the early church would ever have. Maybe the greatest missionary in the history of the church. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Very interesting here is that God is telling Ananias is that this persecutor is going to have to find out how much he must suffer for my name. It's interesting that Paul becomes this incredible preacher, incredible apostle, incredible church planter, but he's able to deal with being persecuted himself, but he understands persecution and suffering because he's seen it from both sides. Powerful, isn't it? God is able to use even the past sin of Saul, and he actually redeems it in his new life. Some of you need to think about that. I know some of you, you, you as I know some of you, I've, I've talked to believers for, for dozens of years who, who struggle with some failure, moral failure in their past life, unable to believe that the ascended Christ can forgive them fully, and not realizing that oftentimes God will even use your failure in your pre-Christian life and redeem it in following Christ. Over 17, Ananias believes the, what he's hearing from God, from Christ. He says, Ananias departed, entered the house, laying his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. Think about that. Brother Saul. 72 hours previously, this Saul was on his way to Damascus to imprison and terrorize believers. And now, Ananias, I guess, is convinced that the ascended Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit has changed Saul, and he goes up to Saul, and the first words out of his mouth, Brother Saul. What you see here is that the power of the ascended Christ through the Holy Spirit takes Saul, who was an enemy of Ananias, 72 hours previously, and now they are brothers. Brothers in the family of God. It's it's shocking. They'll end up baptizing him. So much for my 10-year new believer baptism program. That's what I would have suggested. He baptized him. Verse 18. 
this isn't the only place we hear about the incredible power of the ascended Christ to change enemies into brothers in Christ. Some of you are well familiar with the story of the, the five uh, missionaries who went to Ecuador in the 1950s. They were trying to reach the Aka tribe, the Wedoni people. These were people that were being encroached upon through Western oil companies that were threatening their existence, but they were also being threatened to go into extinction because they were killing other tribes, but they were also killing one another. They did not have a word in their language for forgiveness. And so when the Wadoni people had a conflict with one another, the only way they could actually solve it was to kill each other. And so they are going into extinction from some of the uh, Western corporations that were encroaching on their jungle, but a lot of the reason they were going to be extinct was because they were a violent, vicious tribe that killed one another. And five guys and their families tried to reach that tribe. They made contact. They flew over the area where the Aka Indians, where the Wadoni people were. They put gifts down from the plane. They had made enough contact that they decided to land the plane in the area where the Aka Indians were. And when they were wanting to have their sort of their first face-to-face -face connection with this tribe, all five of these missionaries were killed. Made international news, big series of photographs in Life magazine. One of the men that was speared and killed was Nate Saint. He was the pilot. His son Steve was three years old when this happened. He lost his dad. Nate Saint, uh, the pilot who was speared and killed, his sister went back to the Wadoni people after they had killed her brother to serve them. One of the other wives came back to the Wedoni people and stayed and shared the gospel and they began to come to faith in Jesus Christ miraculously. And then a number of years later, Steve Saint, whose father was murdered, is sitting with a group of Wedoni people, five other men, who happened to be the men who killed his father and his four friends. And there Steve, this grown man, is now with his father's murderers. And yet they're not fighting. There's no revenge. Steve Saint's not trying to, 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 to enact revenge upon them. They are having fellowship. Why? They're brothers in Christ. They're sharing together. They're praying together. They're sharing the word together. Free from all of the effects of that murder against Nate Saint, it's all been forgiven. And now these enemies, real enemies in some sense, are now brothers in Christ because of the power of the ascended Christ through the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Now when I, I gotta tell you, when I read stories like that, when I see what Ananias called Saul, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to visit Saul. I don't know what I would have done if God had told me to do that. I, I just, I, I, if I was gonna, I don't know if I'd have said brother Saul, I'd said, I would have had the biggest 
believers in Damascus I could find to meet with him. when, When I see a story like this and you see the transforming power of the ascended Christ who takes real enemies and now they're brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know how how it how you deal with that, but I think about it and I say, what will it take for us? What will it take for the church at large to live in light of the power of the ascended Christ taking enemies, making them brothers? Because I can tell you, I don't know how many times I have spent time with believers who have far less offensive things happen to them. Nobody killed their their father. Nobody was trying to arrest them. There's been some conflict, some unresolved conflict among believers, and these believers can't even talk to each other, much less call each other brother, sister. And when you see that, when you experience that, when you try to counsel that, you say, what will it take for us to apply the power of the ascended Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we, who are now brothers and sisters in Christ, can live completely and consistently in light of that reality? Can't even talk to each other. Oh, I know I sound like a broken record. But I think about the the politics of our world right now. Story after story I read in all kinds of magazines that progressive Christians and conservative Christians find it difficult to worship in the same church. I say, are you kidding? Brother Saul? Steve Saint with his father's killers? And we're hung up and can't talk to each other because of politics? Because of COVID? Or whatever else we're concerned about? I think when you read a passage like this and you see the narrative uncovering the reality of the power of the ascending Christ, it's clear what is needed in every church and in our church. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that Spirit living in us. We need the full power of the Spirit to fill us and control us in a deeper way (coughs) so that we can live out the reality that through the ascended Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, Real enemies are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Brother Saul. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that you would help each of us to grab a hold of the power of the ascended Christ that pours out this powerful Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here this morning who doesn't think that God could ever accept them. Realize, if God can save Saul, no one is beyond the scope of God's grace. I pray for any believer here this morning who, who, who thinks back to some sin or some failure in their life or maybe has had a recent failure and says, oh, I, you know, can, can I really be part of the family of God? When you look at the, the life of Saul, Lord, help us to see that we're saved by the power of the ascended Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does in us. It's not what we do. We don't earn it. We receive it. And Lord, I pray that 
we would never look at anyone else the same. There's nobody in our life. There's nobody in our family. There's nobody in our workplace. There's nobody in our school. There's nobody in our neighborhood. No matter what, how, and what they say about Jesus, nobody is unredeemable because the power of the ascended Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can take anyone and bring them to faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to remember that our own salvation was no less supernatural and unlikely and surprising. May we exult in that. May we live joyfully out of that, Lord. And lastly, Lord, I pray, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit in the church at large, but also at Stone Hill. Lord, if we really were filled with the Holy Spirit more deeply, more comprehensively, more consistently, we would treat our brothers and sisters in Christ in a profoundly different manner. We would resolve our conflicts. We would be quicker to forgive, quicker to admit, less concerned about some of the differences that divide us. And we would be able to look at each of us, even those who may have hurt us, and say, brother, you're my brother. You're my sister because of the ascended power of Christ through your Holy Spirit. Help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.